I'm Jim Frawley, and this is Bellwether. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining Bellwether Hub. We have an interview this week. We've been doing a lot of interviews recently. I know these are going to be helpful for you, and these are really impactful people. A lot of people, when we do podcasts, they just try to fill in people just so that they can put out content. But I'm, I'm very uh, selective in who I want to put in front of my audience because I know these people are really relevant to my audience and what people are looking to do. And what I'm really excited about today, uh, and my wife kind of yelled at me for doing this, is uh, Enda Odarty, our guest today, is my kind of person because he's (laughs) the right kind of crazy like I am, I think. He's a little bit beyond me. Um, For those of you who know me, I'll do some of those weird challenges and everything else, but but Enda takes it to an nth degree, and I'm really excited to do that. If you also know me, you know that I'm big on practicality. And many people use words, and there's no real follow-through. And what I like about Enda, what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk a little bit about resiliency. We're going to talk a little bit about mental health. We're going to talk about all these buzzwords that are being used all over the corporate spectrum. But what does that actually mean and how do you make it real? And that's what that's what I really want to get out of Enda today. So I'm welcoming Enda O'Darty live from Ireland. Enda, thank you so much for joining and, and being with us on Bellwether Hub. Jim, thank you so much for having me on. And thank you. Thank you for those kind words. I can feel the pressure squeezing my shoulders down into the seat. So I better rise to that challenge today. And I believe that you can do it. You're the type of guy who could do it. So uh, author, new podcast, motivational speaker. You climb Kilimanjaro with a washing machine on your back. You've got a lot of criteria that, you know, your street cred is legit. Tell us, tell the audience who you are, what you do. And and then I'm just going to pepper you with questions. Yeah, well, I suppose, look, my backstory is this, that um, I originally spent the first 25, 30 years of my life in education. And I remember saying to my wife recently, God, I wish I was a motivational speaker 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And she said, you couldn't be. She said, you have to walk the walk. You have to learn life's lessons. And that's what makes you such a good speaker. That's why you can really reach people. That's why you can make people, I can make people cry, Jim, with laughter. I can make them cry with emotion. Um, you can be in an auditorium of 5,000 and you're going to feel like I'm sitting beside you whispering in your ear. And that that communication skill, that power to share a message with people that came through 30 years in the classroom. And, um, you know, you speak six hours a day for 30 years. Believe you me, you get the uh, you get the basics, particularly at that stage when your audience don't want to listen. <laughs> you know, whereas, whereas now they're desperately keen to listen. Um, I suppose I'm not unique either when I tell people as an Irish person that I have an alcohol addiction, I'm an alcoholic, but, you know, one of the things I'm strong on telling people in in life is that, you know, often what's your weakness, often what's the thing that's breaking you down or seems to be, you know, your nemesis is actually your superpower. So for me, thankfully, I'm sober now 15 years, but the thing about an alcoholic is you have that ability to be obsessed with the next drink, the next whiskey, the next drink. Um, And while I don't drink alcohol anymore, I'm certainly obsessed with with many things in life. I'm obsessed with being, you know, a brilliant speaker. I'm obsessed with, you know, with my clients. I'm obsessed with my beautiful wife. I'm obsessed with my three wonderful children. I'm obsessed with my physical fitness. I'm, I'm obsessed with life, Jim. And I suppose that's my backstory. 
um, I went through the toughest times, like a lot of people, I didn't really have mental health issues, depression or anxiety while I was drinking, because a lot of people are unaware they're, you know, they're self-medicating with alcohol. But when I stopped drinking, um, the roof fell in, you know, my life pretty much almost came to a halt and came to an end. Um, when I say drinking, like it's important to, to explain that I was drinking about four bottles of whiskey a week. Um, my Friday night drink would be like a large glass of vodka. And I got to a point where I was drinking a bottle of cough syrup with the bottle of vodka, right? And while, you know, anyone watching this, if they drank that alcohol, they would die. Mm-hmm. Whereas for me, I would be quite merry. You know, it was like you having a glass of red wine or a glass of Chianti with a meal. Um, my tolerance had gone up so much. But I suppose what happened was, you know, when I did get sober, I also got a huge realization of how short my life is, how precious my life is, uh, how much talent I had. And that I had, you know, a duty to get off my fat ass, to get off the couch and use those talents and do something with my life. And I suppose that led to being a spokesperson, a campaigner for mental health issues. Uh, It led me to raising hundreds of thousands of euro or dollars for charities. And I I did that strangely by carrying a washing machine around. So uh, I should explain to people, as my wife calls it, midlife crisis part one, two and three. Um, But I carried a washing machine. It was it was a really powerful symbol. And particularly people in corporate land need to know this, that, you know, um, when I was in work, you know, at my worst, I was like right on the edge of suicide. Yet I was the guy that you would depend on in work. I was first in. My shoes were perfection. My tie was crisp. My car was immaculate. I had a beautiful wife. I had a huge house and a really powerful car. Everything in my life seemed perfection. And, you know, I'm, I'm very keen to point out to people that when you're working within industry that to remember that, you know, it's quite often the guy who seems to have everything can be struggling most. So my mental health message with the washing machine was if you have a problem, don't carry something stupid, ridiculous around. And I think we'll both agree, Jim, it is the most stupid thing you could put on your back and carry around. I would not recommend it. I mean, there are there are plenty of things that I could think of rather i'd rather carry to the top of mount kilimanjaro than a washing machine yeah well i know you have, you have an advertising to advertising and, and media background as well and you know you, you need that spark you need that hook and I, i'm going to tell you every tv station every radio station every newspaper outlet in the world from bloody tokyo all the way to washington wanted to know about the irish guy that did nine marathons in a row with a washing machine and then life became completely crazy when they heard about the Irishman that was climbing Kilimanjaro uh, with a washing machine on his back. Um, and it worked. It worked. You know, it was a huge hook. It, it got us that attention, got us the money and got us um, speaking about mental health in Ireland and I suppose internationally. And I, I think the thing about, you know, I, I see a lot of motivational, inspirational speakers. Um, you know, you can't. You know, a parent who smokes, Jim, if you go home to your kids and you light up a cigarette and you say, if I ever catch you smoking in this house, I'm going to kill you. Right, right, right. right. That, that holds no integrity. That holds no value because you're not walking the, the walk. Um, but, you know, to do things that people perceive to be impossible, it gives you credibility. It gives people, you know, a, a sense of faith or trust in you because, you know, you're not telling them anything is possible. You're actually showing them anything is possible. Um, can you see a window from where you are, Jim, right now? No, uh, a... no, but okay. Well, when you, when you leave, okay. Well, when you go outside and anyone watching this, if you can have a look up and if you can see the clouds above you right now, and as, as impossible as it seems, I was three days walk above those clouds with a washing machine on my back. So I'd gone uphill for eight days 
to over 4,000 meters, started at plus, I don't know, plus 100 degrees, 100% humidity in the jungle with monkeys and ended up on a mountain in the glaciers, you know, in the clouds with a washing machine in my back. Like what an amazing, amazing adventure. And it just makes you cooler because nobody's ever done that before. No, do you know what? Somebody sent me a link to a discussion on a German climbers forum and they were talking about, was it myth or reality that an Irish guy was spotted on Mount Kilimanjaro with a washing machine in his back? But, um, do you know, it, some of it was incredible. You know, I, I on that mountain, um, you know, I, I became very, very sick with, with altitude sickness. And on, on summit night, we were very, very, um, I suppose the reality of how precious life is and how much of a challenge it was, was brought home to us when there was a young lady, 32 years of age, crossfitter, absolute machine, the fittest woman you could imagine. And, and she lost her life on the mountain that night with me. And, um, you know, it really brought home to us that we were, we were, we were putting ourselves in, in harm's way for a good cause and for a real challenge. You know, I, I think I remember one of our guides getting really, he was so positive and happy. And then at one stage I noticed he got quite, you know, total change of personality. And I said to this guy, I said, what's, you know, are you okay today? Cause you know, it wasn't consistent with how he had been. And when there was nobody near us, he just said to me privately, it's from today on. And I, it gets serious. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, we haven't got enough air to fly a helicopter. You see from right now where we are, the helicopter can't, you know, get uh, traction. It can't stay. He said, if someone makes a mistake from now on, it's, it's life or death. That's why his personality changed, you know, but Equally so, the same guy, Jim, on day one, we were coming up the mountain and I looked at my hands. I was filthy, you know, and I looked at my hands and I said, oh, my God, what's that under my nails? They were black. They were horrible. You know, I said, geez, what is that? You know, and he looked at my hand and he went, that's adventure. <laughs> and adventure. so your story then, when we're talking about adventure, um, yeah. there's so many different paths to go down. The number one, hands down, most downloaded podcast of mine is when I told the story of why I quit drinking. And yeah. I feel like most people were listening to that in the middle of the pandemic. They were having yeah. the conversation in their head. I attribute that to the message of mental health and resilience 100% because it's the conversation in our head. Many people aren't prepared to have it. Yeah. Climbing Kilimanjaro, doing an Ironman, marathons with a washing machine. Yeah. That's all physical. Okay. We could talk yeah. about physical. But what nobody talks about is the mental aspect of it. Because yeah. you have to convince yourself that you're capable of doing it. And that is when we, before we got onto the live, we were talking about a Navy SEAL does the same things that a CFO does, does the same things yeah. that, you know, it's the same kind of belief in yourself and self-efficacy. Can you talk a little bit about that, about how do you build that mindset and is it possible to build it without going through those dark places and dark times? Yeah, it is. You know, I mean, you and I have, have, have you know, a good story and we, we, we love a challenge and we've had an exciting life. And but I said, you know, your Kilimanjaro can be running 5K. Your Kilimanjaro can be cutting down on sugar. Your Kilimanjaro could be telling your partner that you're not happy with your relationship and you want to improve it. Your Kilimanjaro could be talking to your employees and saying, look, we're in trouble here unless we up our game and up our profits and up our, 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 our standards, you know, this company is going, is going, is going to go under, you know, it's it for everyone that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, not everyone watching this needs to go and buy a washing machine and start running marathons, nine of them in a row with a washing machine. I wouldn't recommend it, but you know, it's about realizing, you know, that we need to get the best out of ourselves. Like I'm a very positive person. You know, I'm like, when I, when I speak at, at a session, like by golly, I want people walking out of the center 
um, the conference center and I want people, you know, at their lunch break or, you know, that meet and greet afterwards, I want to hear 99% of people, oh my God, where did they get that Irish fella from? What a story, what a storyteller, what energy. Oh my God, I never thought of my life like that, right? But let's, let's, let's be negative for a second because people wouldn't be expecting that. You know, the average person watching this broadcast today lives 28,000 days, days. That's all you get. And it does not matter how much lycra you own or how many, how many times you go mountain biking or, you know, if you eat quinoa from nine in the morning till nine at night, <laughs> you are still heading the same place. But for me, the, you know, the crucial crux of this is it's to get the best out of every single day. You know, I, I did on my, my podcast is called the Mighty Mini Podcast. And um, there's a very infamous politician that I had uh, this week on my podcast. This man is, is, is he's loved in his own area, but nationally, he's probably hated because he's a real he's a troublemaker. But but he's he's a clever guy. He's a millionaire. But, um, I, you know, I think a really wonderful thing about this guy was I sent him, you know, multiple emails to his secretary. Could he could he come on the podcast? Could he come on the podcast? So I get this wonderful email back saying, I like you as a person. I like what you stand for. I've watched you speak and I'd love to come on the podcast. He said, I have one slot. It's available at 5 a.m. tomorrow morning. Now, I don't know, is that a test or is that, it? but my reply was wonderful. I'll see you after breakfast because I'm up at that time. I'm up, yeah. I'm hitting the gym, I'm hitting the books, I'm spending time with family, I'm learning. I'm trying to squeeze the absolute last drop out of every day, Jim, because they're, they're, they're precious, you know? And I, I don't think people know that. I feel like, you know, when I went back and quit drinking, I had an appreciation for making more, you know, the first thing I signed up for when I quit drinking was the Ironman. Yeah. And I feel like you have more of an appreciation of the time you wasted, kind of like your 28,000 days. How yeah. much time did I waste uh, yeah. facing a bottle? How much time did I waste? You know, I talk about, you know, I had all the greatest ideas in the world, but nothing got done yeah. because I woke up the next morning and you're hungover and you're like, oh, I just got to do whatever and I'll worry about it later. Yeah. How do you convince someone? So in your work as a motivational speaker, how do you convince someone that, you know, you could talk about 28,000 days. You could tell everyone that, you know, you have to get up early and you have to, you know, make the most of your life and do whatever it is that you want to do and, and get people to go. How do you get them to believe it rather than just telling your story? Because I feel like we have to feel it. And you felt yeah. it with, with, with quitting drinking and, and going through your experiences and everything else. Mm. How do you get someone to feel it? I think it's I think it's about re getting people something you said at the start really resonated with me. It's 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 not overly complex. You know, what I do is, is you know, I do persistent actions consistently. So I'll pick something, but I will go at that something forever. I will do it a million times until I get it perfect, you know, really, really, you know, going properly for me. Let, let me give you a practical example, Jim. So people say to me, how can you how, how can you uh, carry a washing machine nine marathons in eight days? That's impossible. You know, you're 53. Oh, my God, what are you doing to yourself? So for the year I was training for Kilimanjaro, every time I went to the bathroom. OK, um, so I did 10 pushups before I washed my hands. I did 10 pushups. I went five times a day. I'll save you the math. Thirty two thousand pushups in a year. That was excluding gym sessions, excluding, you know, training or climbing in the mountains, everything that I was doing. And what happened when you do 32,000 push-ups in a year, Jim, is I, I look like a bad Photoshop. So from here up, I look like, you know, Santa's helper. But from here down, I look like I should be on men's health. My, 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 my boobs didn't jiggle anymore. My man boobs were concrete. 
Um, I had, I remember washing in the shower and going, what the hell is that? I found lumps <laughs> that I never had before, you know, <laughs> and all of a sudden my, my wife was still smiling at me, but she was smiling in a slightly different way. Right. Yeah. So that idea of persistent, consistent effort that convinces people because they can see it. You know, the other thing I say to people, too, is, you know, it's about action. Um, you know, I, I know somebody who was like, God, I'd love to start a business or, you know, I, I'd love to um, God, I'd love to lose some weight. But the bottom line here is in the middle of that discussion or that plan is there's one tiny little word and that's action. You've got to do something and you don't have to do something huge. You don't have to do something life changing, but you just have to do that action consistently. Maybe a lovely takeaway for anyone watching this is, you know, for every time you have a negative thought from now on, promise yourself that you'll take a positive action to match that thought. Just one action. So let me give you an example. I didn't learn to read and write until I was about 12 um, and in 1980, it was called stupid um, and lazy. And now we know it as <laughs> dyslexia. I just didn't see what everyone saw. Right. Um, technology saves me. I don't have to write. So when I was writing my first book, um, it's called I'm Fine. Now, I'll tell you a little bit about the book. But when I was writing the book, I thought, oh, my gosh, you can't spell. That's a negative thought. If I had a negative thought, I sat on my laptop and typed for 10 minutes. Then I thought, yeah, you'll finish the book, but no one will buy it. That's a negative thought. I had to go and talk to some publishers or look up something on YouTube or ring somebody or ask some advice. But every single time I had a negative thought, I made progress because I took a positive action. Now, if I have positive thoughts, that's great because I took a positive action. So it was toss a coin. It was heads I win, tails I win. And I couldn't go wrong. So I think people need to realize that small actions are really powerful and mindset, that ability to, to do something powerful. I was, I was mentoring this lady, um, Jim, she, she, I'm safe talking about her. She, she's um, quite a well-known Irish businesswoman, but she was, she, let's say she was calorifically challenged. She was fighting the battle of the bulge. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And she, a part of my, my, my job was to mentor her and inspire her. And she rang me with him. She said, Oh my God, I, I give up. She said, I've, I've just eaten salad after salad and I'm going to the gym and I'm making no bloody progress. I hate my life. I hate and I said, hang on, that's a negative thought. And she goes, oh, don't give me your mumbo jumbo positive <laughs> action. And I said, no, it works. It works. So she drove to the gym every day. Where did she park? Where do you think she parked? Uh, right next to the door. Yeah. She would have parked beside the treadmill. She would have brought the car into the <laughs> elevator, gone up to the building. And, right. So what we did was I got her to park one mile from the gym. Uh, there was a petrol station, a gas station. She parked one mile. She walked to the gym, talked to family, talked to friends, sent an email. So she was warmed up, zero injuries. She also walked all the way back. Six weeks in, she'd done a marathon and a half, two marathons. She rang me one night. She said, I think my scales is broken. I said, why? She said, the weight's coming down. And all she did was park one mile from the gym. You know, so it's, I think sometimes like in life, we expect huge things to happen instantly. They don't. You know, it needs persistent, like I say, consistent effort. I think probably it's a societal thing. You know, you want a friend, click add. You want a pizza, click order. Yeah, you want to yeah. get rid of a friend, click delete. You know, <laughs> you want right. a beautiful, delicious meal, press go on the microwave. A delicious, nutritious meal. And we both know they're lying, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, Everything's so marketing, I, right, right. Everything's marketing. So for me, you know, when, when, when I'm talking to business teams, it's about the same core elements, getting people to realize persistent, consistent effort, Getting people to realize it implies action, uh, getting people to realize it implies honesty about your weaknesses so that you can make a change. And when you start to get those wheels turning, all of a sudden organizations or businesses, individuals, you know, they can really start to change their lives and try, start to change their income, you know. So and that's a great perspective. Um, 
And I wonder sometimes, are we too goal oriented? And what I like about what you're saying is, you know, I read this great article, you know, why does everyone have to run a marathon? Why can't you just run a 5k? Right. And so do we just try, you know, we tell people you should aim high, but then also maybe you shouldn't aim too high or are you aiming, you know, maybe we have to understand our goals slightly differently. How can we change that perspective? And do you have any opinions on, you know, sometimes just starting small um, and reviewing where you are and where you need to go? I think in the industry I work in, there's a temptation like, you know, you know, there's, there's a friend of mine, he swam the length of Ireland and he ran the entire coast of Ireland. And he, you know, like, I, I'm like, what's he going to do next? Walk to the moon? You know, we, well, we, what we, he's going to do is do it again with a washing machine on his back. <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. That's that's mine. That's, that's my that's my niche. But, <laughs> you know, it's a really th- a great question. And, and I get asked that, you know, particularly at conferences, you know, the meet and greet afterwards. And pro- what you've asked me is probably one of the best questions that are the most frequent questions that I get asked. And, Strangely, like I tell people, everyone needs two goals. You need two goals that are non-negotiable. Goal number one is to be healthy. If you get heart disease, diabetes, if you if something happens to your physical health because you have not attended to it, every other goal, every other journey, everything else in life is meaningless. So, you know, it's not like the motive, you know, get to the gym, pump that iron. It doesn't matter if you do ballroom dancing, chasing raccoons, climbing trees, you know, it doesn't matter. Move your body, stay healthy. That's number one goal in life. Number two goal in life is to be happy. Okay. Cause it doesn't matter. There are times in my life, I have had an obscene amount of money in the bank and I was truly miserable to the point of taking my own life. There are times in my life when I have not had $10, not enough to buy a pizza. And myself, and my wife had a small pizza because I had less than $10. And it was the most magnificent dinner with romance. And we were happy. And I always say to people, look, your, your goal might, you know, to be, to have, you know, a company that's quoted NASDAQ, your goal might, you know, to be retired by your 30, but don't forget those two goals first, be healthy, be happy. And, and it's strange. I work with a lot of very successful companies and large corporates and the ones who look after their, the happiness of their staff and the physical health of their staff, those companies have much higher levels of success. You know, like I, I worked with a very large bank this week and I, I spoke on a webinar with them and I was saying, look, you know, th- this particular bank, in, in this one section of the bank, there was 3000 employees. But the reason this bank is doing so well is they realize they have resources. Sure, they've got a skyscraper, you know, with a doorman and beautiful glass everywhere. And sure, everyone in that building has, you know, the most amazing technology and they have the most amazing Wi-Fi and lighting systems. But the top three people that I dealt with instantly focus on their number one resource is happy people, contented workers who are motivated because they know everything else is meaningless, you know. And I think that's why there's a larger and larger inclination for corporates to invest in speakers like me to talk about mental health resilience and life journey because you know it's not detached okay you could be making i don't know cars or you could be making laptops or cell phones but those core principles of of human happiness and human productivity are true for everyone right it's still it ultimately comes down to the individual you know any kind of macro focus you have to focus on the micro person um which is phenomenal from a from a mental health standpoint and i think part of the resilience aspect kind of goes back to you you don't seem like you're going to shy away from a challenge so 
when I talk about, <laughs> not that I'm inviting you to a challenge. Uh, whenever I talk about self-efficacy, I talk about my friend, Larry, who signed up to do a half Ironman with me and he didn't know how to swim. He said, all right, well, I'll just, you know, I'll just go oh my how to swim, right? And I break it down and that's, that's how you do it. Yeah. How do you, I feel like you understand and you're able to break it down well, whatever the big goal is, whatever the big challenge is, how to get it down to that micro level to say, you know what, yeah. this is what needs to be done today to help something mm -hmm. six months or a year down the road. Is that something that you can give any advice on to people on how do you think about the macro to micro kind of real big yeah. strategic down to the tactical day to day? Yeah, I think, you know, tactical is the word. Um, you know, if you're going from micro, uh, you're going from macro to micro, um, sometimes people fail on the micro. It's the smaller details that will mess you up. You know, the guy who, you know, uh, buys a new pair of sneakers for the marathon because he wants to look good and then realizes that his feet are bleeding on mile 10 because he should have worn the old sneakers. Also what happened to Larry just two <laughs> weeks ago. But I'm like, <laughs> Or, you know, I, I know someone who went to an expo for the Washington for the Marine Corps marathon and um, he was delighted. He got so many free gels and bars at the expo and he put them in his shorts and he ate them on the marathon and he had never eaten them before. And um I, 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 I know most people can imagine what happened to him yeah. on, on that marathon. We'll just say he had gastric issues. We won't ruin the, the tone of the conversation. But, you know, when you go from macro to micro or micro to macro, um, there's a single word, actually, that I think encompasses a lot of actions, and that's fear. Um, I come across so many people who are encapsulated. They're trapped by fear. You know, what will people think? What will people say? God, I'm not quick enough. I'm not rich enough. My idea isn't good enough. You know, nobody will buy this product. We're, we, we wrap ourselves in fear. Fear fear for me, Jim, is a bit like cellophane. You know, there the, um, the famous song in uh, Chicago, Mr. Cellophane, you can see right through me. I, I think people, you know, they put that layer of cellophane around that layer of doubt, that layer of fear. And whether it's the small micro issues which they need to do or whether it's the master plan, the macro, um, that fear encapsulates them. And it sometimes results in people not attending to either. You know, um, you know, it's about for me, it's about I, it's about a reflex. So I, ha I have this bizarre, you know, if you go to the, the doctor and he, he takes the hammer, he hits you on the knee and your and your patella and your, your foot shoots out. I've managed to engineer and I encourage people to do this is a reflex to fear. So the minute I think, oh, my God, I can't contact Jim. He'll never have me on the hub. Do it on the spot. Right. There's there's a really, you know, there's a really like fantastic CEO of a company. It's a big conference. God, he'll never talk to someone like me. Yes, he will, because I'm going straight over now. And I've engineered that re reflex that I don't pause. I, I accelerate towards fear and I accelerate towards doubt. And that allows me to be successful. You know that because um I think also, you know, it sounds simpler, easier said than done, but I've also shed shame and failure. Mm -hmm. I don't care if I get if I get told 5000 times to go away, it doesn't it, go, it doesn't register anymore. Now, I, I was a point in my life if I rang someone and said, hello, um, I'm ringing to see if you're interested in if maybe you'd like me to come and speak at your and they say, no, we don't want you. And I'd be two days. I'll be at home going, oh, I'm a failure. No one loves me. <laughs> Why? Know? Why? Why me? Why were they so mean to me? But like I've switched off to that. So, you know, your question was, how can we attend to the micro? The first thing is to shed that fear. Second, you know, and to race towards it and not live your life in doubt. Like it's 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 really simple when you break it down. Make your micro your small steps that will allow you to achieve your major goal. You know, assess and, and reassess. Are you making progress? If you're not making progress, change. But I know so many people who do something and businesses who just drift, 
you know, we'll do the same thing. Why? Because that's what we've always done around here. And they're not dynamic. They don't change. They don't grow. And all of a sudden they're in crisis. You know, um, I think, too, you know, COVID-19, um, like it's 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 strange talking to, you know, someone in the States or someone in the UK or, you know, I was talking to a guy in India the other night. It's it's a universal experience for all of us. You know, I think we've all been in the same storm, but I don't think we've all had the same boat. Um, there's a wonderful friend of mine. He he works in the he's he's he, as he says, I shoot people for a living. He's a sniper. <laughs> he works for the emergency services here in Ireland. And if there's a hostage situation or a bank robbery, he, he's that guy that's on the radio on the building making that big call. And uh, he rang me you know, at the start of, of all this madness and, you know, about a month or two in, he said, how are you doing? And, and I said, well, I went back to college. I did a diploma in digital media. I've launched two new websites. I published my book. Um, I have a podcast coming out. I'm working more than ever, I'm spending more time. My wife has lost some weight. I'm quite fit. And he went, wow. He said, that is brilliant. And I said, why, why did you say brilliant? And he said, he said, when we have a, you know, when they have a, a, a SWAT meeting after after an incident, whether it's a bank robbery, or whatever, he said, we ask ourselves one key question. And I, I said to him, yeah, come on. There's more than one. You're going to sit down <laughs> and go, hope, yeah. let's just answer the question. And he said, no, really, the, the crux of it is one question. I said, what's the question? He said, did we survive here or did we thrive? He said, because if we just survived, it's a good thing. But just surviving, just getting through life means when the next crisis comes up, the likelihood is, something's going to go really badly wrong and somebody will get hurt or somebody will lose their life. He said, did we do really well? If we did, wonderful, let's change 10 more things. You know, that, that concept of constantly, you know, improving so that you can move to a new level. So he said to me, you know, I, I think you're, you're thriving. And he's right. I feel guilty saying it like I really enjoyed lockdown. I, I had time to think. I had time I've to said it, you know, outside of everybody dying, it's kind of yeah. nice, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> it's, you can it's focus amazing. on you and you can think. And yeah, I spent like I had lunch with my family every day. You know, I, I did um I I did a Zoom call for for um for a company in the states uh, one evening, and earlier that morning I was in Dublin, and earlier that morning I was in London, and in all three cases I was like this, you know, pristine white blue suit. But I had my shorts on because it was nice weather. And I went and sat in the garden, had a coffee with my wife and instead of living in an airport in a hotel, which I'm not a big fan of, you know. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. And, and I think going you know, forward, um, you know, I really hope to work more and more in the States. And I really I love people. You know, I love that crackle of atmosphere when you walk on stage and people are going, who the hell is this guy? You know, I, I love that tension and that drama. But equally so, I think the hybrid event is, is something for me that I'm going to stick with because. It, you know, I've, I've, you know, in the last few weeks, I've been in the Middle East, I've been in Africa, I've been in New York, London, Dublin, and, you know, my car hasn't moved, you know, <laughs> and that's good. That's nice, right? You wake yeah. up in your own bed, which is pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's great. So macro to micro, managing fear. What I like what you said about that is, um, it's not necessarily fear of failure, but also fear of shame and humiliation, right? And that's sometimes what we try to shy yeah. away from. But all of yeah. those things that you talked about is a focus on you because we bring our own humiliation and feelings of humiliation and feelings yeah. of shame and feelings of failure and all of that. So it's ultimately what you can what you can control. Yeah. I had, I, you know, I had a, a strange experience. Um, I was mentoring this company, uh, you know, their senior management team about fear. And we were going through this program that I'd written and I closed the laptop and I, I've got my, my, my ideas book here beside me, everyone has one. 
And I wrote down at the end of the call my reflections on what that person had said and what I had said. And I closed the laptop and I sat here, Jim, and I went, you know what? You're a fraud because you're telling these people don't live their life in fear and it's creeping back into your life. So I made a list of two things that I would do if I wasn't afraid. And I wrote down an idea and I sent an email based on this idea. And then I went to have lunch with my family. So I have, uh, my, when I say children, I have a 25-year-old, a 23-year-old, and a, a cynical 16-year-old. And they all sat at the dinner table. And of course, the normal thing is, thank you, mom, for the food. And then they proceed to abuse their father and make fun of me. And the normal good things that happen in family. Yes. But uh, I told them what I did, and they all laughed. They said, you sent an email to who? Are you crazy? And I said, look, they will probably say no. There's a likelihood I'll get rejected. But here's the thing I want you to remember. He said, if they reject me or if they don't go for this, it's 100% fine. But what's not acceptable in life is to take a stick and to start to beat yourself. If I sat in, I said, I'm proud that I had the idea. I'm proud that I sent it. If I get feedback, wonderful. If I get nowhere, that's okay too. But what's not okay is to sit here and go, I'm not good enough. I said, because that self-doubt will eat you alive. And it just gets bigger. And uh, my kids went, oh, you know, easy, dad. We're having lunch, you know, <laughs> at work now. You're not, don't motivate us. <laughs> but, the, but the beautiful thing was the next day I got an email and then I did a phone call and then I did an interview. And for a chunk of lockdown, I got to work with Europe's number one rugby team, Leinster Rugby, who are, I suppose they'd be the equivalent of, um, of the Super Bowl winning team in the States. Yep. Yep. And I got to work with them as a motivational speaker. And that's who, what I had written down on the piece of paper. And the job was great. The experiences were wonderful. The money was good. But the best thing was going back to my kids and going, ha, <laughs> I was right. <laughs> lesson learned. Perfect. Yeah, lesson learned. But like, just take that risk. You know, I always say to people like, you know, and, and if you can become, if it can become, and, and when I say risk, you know, I'm not talking about jumping off a cliff and hoping there's enough water. You know, I'm talking about pushing yourself, you know, so that you can learn and you can develop and you can grow and you can change. Like that's, that's where the excitement is in life, you know? And the self-doubt too is what I like to tell people is you can have the greatest peach tree in Georgia, but some people aren't ready for a peach today and that's okay. And yeah. so, you know, you know, your peaches are good. You know, you're making something great. That's valuable to certain people. And it's going to be a good fit somewhere, good fit somewhere else, but you can't control that. Um, talk to me about, so you've got a new podcast. You're putting out content galore. You've got the book, I'm Fine. You've got two more books coming out in the future. Tell us about your everything that you're, you're telling us about. Yeah, so the book is called I'm Fine. And um, if anyone wants to go on endodarity.ie, I will sign it and post it all the way to the States or Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, wherever you're listening to this today. Um, on the, the title of the book is I'm Fine and it's in gold embossed letters on the top. It looks very spectacular. Underneath is a photograph of me screaming. And I suppose it's it's a reminder of times in my life when people said, how are you doing? You know, you, how's life? And I said, fine, yeah, really good. And the scream was the reality, you know, that I was dying inside. Um, but it's not a book about suicide or depression. Uh, you know, it's it's about many of the things that we talked about today, Jim. My, so one of my, my printer's friends said to me, uh, he said, you know, you should have called it Maeve because that's my wife because she's peppered through the book, you know, and, and somebody, I pulled someone up and corrected them that today. Somebody recognized me and asked me to sign something today. And um, my wife was like rolling her eyes, like, oh, here we go again. And um, this person said, you know, behind every great man, there's a great woman. And I stopped him on the spot and I said, you, you, you haven't lived my life. And he said, what do you mean? I said, in my life, 
the great women are out in front. You just that they're so far in front, you can't see them. They're giving me guidance. They're giving me support. They're giving me orders, but yeah, right. <laughs> they are not behind me in any shape or form. So I suppose the book looks at you know a wide variety of topics that would be of interest to people. You know, in performance management and in life improvement. Um, that's I'm fine. I suppose the book got such a huge feedback, a positive feedback that. Um, a lot of people said to me, you know, you have some great ideas. We'd love to hear more of them. So I've launched this podcast. It's called The Mighty Mini Podcast. As the cliche goes, available everywhere you get your podcasts. And The Mighty Mini Podcast, I suppose it's called Mighty Mini because some of the episodes are mini. So I, I realized, Jim, you know, when someone listens to a podcast, you might go for a walk, listen to a podcast. You come back and you say to your wife, hey, I heard these four brilliant things from this podcast. And you tell her in less than five minutes. Yeah. So I decided to cut the middleman out. Just go for the five minutes. Nice. So it's bang on point. No waffle, no spoof, no hour and a half interview trying to get, you know, the, the kernel of the of the argument or the points. So the mini ones are super short. So let me give you an example. So the latest one is uh, four drugs everyone should become addicted to. And I'm not explaining it because you're going to have to go and listen to it. To <laughs> Good. Yeah. Um, so two weeks ago, I spent an, as bizarre as it sounds, I spent an entire week and I read every book article I could get my hands on belonging to the Dalai Lama. And then on Saturday, I sat down and I wrote a piece called Lama Lessons. And it's what we can learn about the Lama Lessons. Uh, I did an episode, strangely, on the Dakota Indians and, um, you know, on the Lakota and, you know, they're probably best known for the Battle of Little Bighorn and Custard's Last Stand. But the wisdom of the Lakota in terms of how we should treat each other, how we should treat our environment. It's just absolutely beautiful and so crisp and so clear and so relevant today. So, you know, you've got um, the Lama lessons, Lakota Indians, drugs. The longer ones are people that have interested me in life, people that have inspired me. So um, last night I spoke to a lady who has a wonderful book written called As the Smoke Clears. And if you can imagine this, she was on her honeymoon. And she woke up in Greece to see the hillside around her villa on fire. She went to escape the villa. The electrical gates were broken because of the fire. Um, herself and her husband climbed the gates. She dislocated her knee. Um, she could feel the hair on her face begin to melt, you know, with the heat. The flames were that closed. And she was rescued by a car which crashed and her husband was killed in front of her, you know, in, in the flames in, in on their honeymoon, if you can imagine. Wow. Now, I know that sounds a very dark, horrible story, but that lady made me cry. I was laughing so hard. She's so upbeat and so positive and has learned so many lessons about resilience. So I'm very, very lucky, you know, with the mighty ones to have long, uh, longer guests uh, and real in-depth conversations. And, you know, it for me, you know, my, my dad has a great mantra. My dad would always say to me, remember, you know nothing. And it, it's kept me very safe in life. You know, it's the minute you think you've arrived or I'm cool or look at me, and that's when life kicks you in the ass. It will always remind you quickly. That's right. Very quickly. So the nice <laughs> thing about the Mighty podcast is, you know, I get a mighty amount of information and less, let life lessons. Um, so I had um, I had a wonderful one yesterday i had a magician keith barry i'm not sure if you know him he's a mentalist he's a show in vegas he's um he's very good friends with morgan freeman and woody harrelson he did he was the guy who coordinated all the magic stunts in now you see me now you don't and one and two mm -hmm. but he, he had such wisdom the guy is amazing but you know somebody he lives in a very exclusive part of ireland in a beautiful house he has a beautiful car someone said to him the other day they said mike so lucky 
And, you know, the polite thing to do is, yes, you know, I'm lucky. And uh, he said, no, I'm not lucky. I work 18 hours a day, five days a week. I've been doing that for the last 10 years. <laughs> there's, right. there's no luck involved. Right. No, All right. That's yeah. Yeah. So the book, that's the podcast. And um, I think the, you know, the third book is going to be based on some of the interviews and content in the podcast. You know, someone said to me, it was, um, Oh my God, what's his name? This is terrible. Yeah. They said the, the, the Irish Joe Rogan. And I will take that. I'm very, very <laughs> happy with that. That's it. Get that audience and, and share the story. And that's perfect. Absolutely. Yeah, well, so, I think cult- culturally Irish people, um, I know we share a common language. We definitely speak English, but um, I'm told we have a different way with words. I know that the old legend of the Blarney Stone is there, but um, in our culture and our tradition, storytelling and the ability to communicate, it's crucial, you know, yeah. um, and, and I think the way we phrase things. So you, you might, might you can see in my virtual office here over my shoulder is my name. So um, with my family, I would speak Gaelic. I wouldn't speak English. And so Enda or Aina means as handsome or beautiful as the birds, which is clearly not true. You can see if you're watching this, <laughs> if you're listening to this, yes, I'm incredibly good looking. Yes, perfectly. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at our screens here and I'm thinking beauty and the beast and I know which one I am. And <laughs> the, uh, the uh, Oh, so you'll see oh, lots of O's in Irish names. So O'Connor, you know, O is descended from the son of, that's what the O stands for. And I'm not sure I should tell you this, Jim, because I really want to work more with uh, on, on stateside. But Doherty means the hurtful or dangerous family. If I said to you in Gaelic, Jenny Middocherditch, means I'm going to hurt you or harm you. So uh, it, it means the hurtful or dangerous family. But I, I, I'm, I'm rarely dangerous. But you know what I'll say to that is uh, sometimes through pain is when we learn our best lessons. So you can give us good, dangerous pain. <laughs> And that will be the ultimate motivation. Yeah. For, Do you know, I had my, my doctor called me uh, about six months ago. He said, I've got the results of your MRI because I was getting shoulder trouble. He said, where are you? The music's very loud. I said, I'm in the gym. He said, what you, can you turn the music down? I said, hang on, I'll go outside. So I went outside the gym. He said, it's your MRI. I said, yeah. He said, just before I tell you, he said, what are you doing right now? I said, I'm bench pressing. He said, what are you, what are you benching? I said, I don't know, 100 kilos for 100 reps. It's, you know, it's probably what I do most days. He said, good, good, good. Okay, so you've got a double fracture in your right shoulder. But I have such an ability to focus so mentally strong that I can almost, it's actually quite dangerous now and that I can almost shut out physical pain. Um, like I can go to the point where I need somebody else to tell me this is not safe. You need to switch because I can focus so deeply that I can actually switch off those systems. So, you know, I, I said, Jim, I'd done nine marathons in eight days. So on, I hope no one's eating watching this, but uh, on, on the walk, I lost all of my toenails on both feet. Um, I had hallucinations. The road turned into a snake because I was pushing myself to 30 miles every day with a washing machine. Um, I had leaky gut. I'm not sure if you've come across that in Ironman where you're trying to eat so many calories that your body starts to leak it into the bloodstream, which makes you violently ill. Not good. Um the fat pads came off the front of my feet and my heels came off and then it got really hard. I broke both feet. So on marathon nine, I'm starting a marathon with two broken feet. Now, the funny thing is that I want people to think about line on the first marathon was to take one step forward. And the choice I had on the ninth marathon with the broken feet was the exact same choice. Just take one step. And sometimes in life, you know, we were talking earlier about macro and micro and, you know, people aspiring to great things. You know, the great things are wonderful in the distance, but sometimes it's just do the best today. 
you know, can you can you be on point today with your nutrition, with your relationships, with your learning, with your goal setting, with your honesty, with your kindness, with your generosity, with your productivity? Just stack, you know, just go after today and have the best possible day. And like I promise people watching this and I promise corporates when I'm working with them, you know, you stack enough of those good days up and magic starts to happen. You know, it really does. The good stuff starts to happen. That's right. Yeah, it's one day does. at a time, one moment at a time, one yeah. step at a time. And yeah, yeah. Them, and you know, you know when, when we got back, Jim, to, um, I live in Waterford City, which is famous for its crystal and in the southeast of Ireland. And when we got back to my hometown after the nine marathons, um, thousands of people turned out. The police and the, the fire service closed the roads and, you know, they gave us a guard of honor. The, the Coast Guard flew a helicopter overhead and I was like exhausted. I was just broken. But, you know, one of the most amazing things on that walk was we, we got to um, we got to the finish line and there was a big civic reception. And as it was over, this lady came over to me and, and she said, um, do you mind if I get a selfie with you in the washing machine? Which is a common thing, you know, people are like, oh, can we get a so it's no problem. So I picked this tiny little lady up. I put her sitting on the washing machine, put my arm around her. And I gave her her cell phone to my wife and I said, can you can you please take a photo? And we took the photo and this lady said to me, she said, I, I haven't been honest with you. And I said, what do you mean? She said, I didn't come for, for, for a photo. She said, I came to talk to you. And I said, you're welcome. You're always welcome to talk. She said, you remember on that walk when your toenails came out and you broke your feet and you were throwing up? And I was, you know, I, I was blogging and vlogging the whole way along about how I was getting on. I said, yeah, I can remember pretty well. And she said, on that second or third night of your marathons, she said, I decided to take my own life. And she said, I wrote a letter to my husband who had no idea that I was in, 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 in struggle, in crisis. And uh, I wrote a letter to my children saying goodbye. And she said, something clicked in my head. She said, as long as you were going through hell, raising awareness and money for a cause for me, for a total stranger, she said, I'd keep going. And she said, the next day I told my husband and very quickly I was with the doctor and I began medication. I started counseling and here she was nine days later. And she said, I, I didn't come for the photo. She said, I came to thank you for saving my life. And sometimes Jim, people say to me, and how can you keep going? Like, how can you keep training for endurance events? How can you put your body through that, you know, and still work professionally as a speaker and still work as an author or a podcaster? And like I, I tell people at conferences and webinars, you know, I've never been struck by lightning. But but I promise you, I know what it feels like, because when someone says something to you like that, that's that incredibly powerful. Um, it's life changing. You know, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Ah, it, it just gives you the supercharge. And, I'm, you know, I, I wanted to say to you, too, when we were talking about Kilimanjaro, because I'm aware like major, majority of your listeners will be will be in stateside. But um, we, we were coming down off Kilimanjaro. <laughs> I have to tell you this story. And we're coming down off the mountain. My wife says, how tired are you? I said, oh, my God, I'm beyond tired. I'm covered in dirt and dust and sweat. And you bleed through the nose and the ears because there's so much uh, scree and gravel coming off the mountain. And my wife said, how tired are you? I said, I'm really tired. She said, as tired as when you did the nine marathons? And I said, yeah. I said, um, I'm seeing things. And she said, what can you see? I said, I can see Indiana Jones. And my wife started laughing and she said, oh, you're bad. So I said, yeah, I'm OK. So we kept walking and we got down almost down to the car park at the end of the mountain, back to civilization. And there's a couple had been in front of us the whole way down the mountain. And we got to them and I just simply said, good morning. And this guy turned and he said, good morning. You ready for this, Jim? 
it was Harrison Ford and his wife had wow. been walking on front of us the whole way down. So you did see Indiana <laughs> Jones. Did see Harrison, I did see Indiana Jones. And we've got, because anytime I tell that story, people go, yeah, you know, the Irish guys, he made it up. We have the photo. We have the photo to prove it. I was so happy because my wife thinks he's beautiful. But um, in real life, he's not quite as gorgeous. You see, the problem is when we watch Indy 1, 2 or 3 or Temple of Doom, if we forget it's 30 years ago or 40 years ago. Right. And he's not quite as handsome as she thought he was. So uh, well, <laughs> a very nice guy. Yeah. But like, isn't that amazing? Like if, if you read that and you didn't hear me say that, tell those two stories, you'd say, nah. That, right, right, right. That couldn't happen. But that's no way. that's the magic of the adventure that I'm living. You know, I, I really don't know what's coming next, you know. And that's uh was gonna be my next question is what's next? But what I love about all this is that it's um it's heavy and it's impactful and it has real benefit to the people who who need to hear it. And many people when they get started doing a podcast or anything is you don't know who needs to hear it. Yeah. But you're yeah. going to have some kind of positive impact for, for your people. And especially as you think about your corporations and your individuals and what they're doing and what they need to hear, we yeah. can always assume at the top of the organization that we know what our employees need, mm. but we may not always be hitting it. And that's what, I mean, these are the stories that, that people really relate to. Yeah. And I think, I think because they're human stories and I think because they're well told and I think because they're entertaining that grasps people, you know, like my, my, on YouTube, my promo video says, you know, it talks about me being a speaker and I said, I don't want, I don't want to present people with death by PowerPoint. You, have you ever had a presenter who comes in and reads every line of a PowerPoint slide and thinks that you are going to be excited and you're like, Oh my God, when will this guy finish? You know? <laughs> and you know, I, I want, you know, there's a, there's a power and there's a magic in words, you know, um, you know, I, I think back to, you know, a couple of months ago, I was really tired and I was getting in the car at stupid o'clock, you know, my car smelt of Red Bull and I was leaving. I didn't want to go and my wife is in bed and God, the bed, we have a beautiful bed, you know, Jesus, huge, a big sleigh bed, you know, it's a big old, the big heavy, comfy ones, yeah, big comfy yep. bed. And um, I was leaving the room and I feel sorry for myself, like, oh, here we go again. And my wife called me back. She said, end it, end it. And I thought, oh God, she asked me for a cup of coffee. I'm going to scream because I just, I'm getting under pressure here. And, you know, I'm thinking morning traffic on the highway and blah, blah, blah. And I came back and I said, yeah, yeah, what is it? What is it? And she goes, you look so handsome in that suit today. Now it's 5.30 in the morning. She's half asleep. I swear to God, for the entire day, Jim, I'm on the tip of my toes. I'm, I'm, I'm giving it this because I've been told you look so handsome today. Five words. And that was enough to energize my day. And you should never, ever doubt if you're a leader in business or in your company, you should never doubt the power of positivity and the power of words to impact or change people. You know, I can I have we time. Can I tell you about an email that I got a few weeks back? Sure. I, I, sp I, sp I spoke with this mega large corporation about mental health. And uh, there's a meeting greet. This lady came up to me afterwards. She said, oh, my God, she said, I really, really loved what you had to say. And she said, my, my husband and myself, um, she said, we've been trying IVF and it's not working out and he wants to stop. And she said, I'm going home this evening and I'm telling him we're going to get more money. We're going to bloody do this. So I was like, lovely to meet you. And <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> where would you like me to sign your book? And um, off she went. So a couple of weeks back, I get, um, I get an email and I recognize the company name of the email. And I'm thinking, oh God, did I forget to send an invoice or you know, what's the story here? And I open it. And there's a picture of a baby 
and there's just two words in the email and it says, thank you. And instantly I know you it was know this it was. moment. Yeah. Was, yeah. Let's be clear here, Jim. I am not telling you I have the empower to impregnate people with words. <laughs> I, am not, I am good. Well, that was going to be I my next not, question because now you're just good. completely elevated. I've been yeah. asking the wrong questions. <laughs> but isn't that like, I mean, look, I speak for a living because it pays my bills, it pays my mortgage, you know, allows me to go on holidays. But I wouldn't put the level of energy in. I wouldn't be as dedicated as I am. I wouldn't be as passionate about it. It's, it's for moments like that, like, oh, my God, like I, I sat here in front of the laptop that I'm talking to you on now and I literally cried. I was like, wow, imagine that you can say something and it can literally change the direction of someone's life. And, and equally so, you know, when I what I when I speak with a company, I know loads of companies will have speakers in, but I, I try to give more time to the pre-conference call than the conference because I want to know who you are what what your needs are what your energies are what your solutions are, are you working on what products I want to understand I don't want to roll out you know the same old generic rubbish because I'll die and it won't work um, second thing I do is after the presentation I send the company I work with I send them a second presentation a few weeks later you know to elongate the process to, to keep it alive on a totally different topic it's just me sitting here talking but they share it with their employees and it gives I suppose it adds value and it adds momentum to what I've spoken about. But, um, I, you know, the meet and greet has, has been virtual at the moment because that's, you know, that's the world we live in. But I spoke to the HR department of this very large company I work with and uh, I said to them, look, I'll be speaking about resilience. Their particular topic was the importance of mental health and happiness and, and how it can affect your success in the industry. And I, I did the presentation and I explained to them and I explained at the webinar that if anyone had an issue, I'm not a, a counselor, I'm not a psychotherapist, I'm just a regular person with empathy. But if somebody wants to reach out and talk, I'll always, always give them time, whether it's two hours or a day, whatever they need, you know, because that's the, the thing about our humanity, the thing about being a human, it's our humanity. That's, that's what makes us different. And um, they said, great, that's fine. So I did the call. And within 10 minutes, of that presentation, I got lots of emails and phone calls and, you know, messages, thank yous and, and congratulations, kind words. But the first email was from the CEO of that company. And for the first time ever, he said to someone, I am really struggling. And he said, your words got me today. And it's so funny because my initial impression of him was Superman, you know, the leader out front on the podium, suited, booted, Captain Invincible. This guy was the business. You know, he looked he was a good looking guy, great shape. Everyone loved him. And he was hanging on by his fingernails in life. And he just felt it was OK, you know, to reach out and say that, which I I was amazed because the HR department were looking down the, the stream. They were looking at, you know, 22 year old employees. Yeah. Little did they think that it was their boss would be the first one in, you know. You know what I love is that you've taken us full circle. Because it's the same thing that you were talking about at the very beginning with you, where you're suited, you're booted, you're ready to go, but nobody really asks how fun you are or how you're yeah. struggling. And, and it's lonely yeah. at the top. And when people say it's lonely at the top, that's when you know they don't really have that opportunity because of the image that they think they have to 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 give out. Yeah, I think and I think especially so for men, you know, I mean I remember when I spoke about my own mental health difficulties initially, I had colleagues and friends come to me and say, Oh my God, we're so sorry. We really we feel so bad. We could we didn't help you. We should have supported you. And I said, You couldn't, because mm -hmm. not in a million years would I let you know. I was not prepared to show any weakness. I was deluded in that I thought the masculine thing was to shut up, put up, and get through it. 
And there are times in life when you do have to shut up, suit up, turn up and get through it. But not if it affects your happiness and not if it's going to cost you your life. Then it's a ridiculous concept. You know, then it's time to put down that, uh, put that mask down and really explain to people how you're feeling, you know. And the wonderful thing about it too, Jim, is that it's, it's very empowering, you know, and that um, I'm far more self-aware of my weaknesses. I'm far more self-aware of my talents. Um, I'm far more driven. You know, I'm, I'm very grateful. You know, we talk about in life gratitude and people keeping gratitude journals. I'm very grateful to do what I do for a living. And I'm very grateful to have escaped the dark place I'm in. And, you know, if anyone's listening to this and, and you're going through a dark place financially, emotionally, physically, spiritually, whatever your struggle with is, you know, I, I always say to people, remember that no matter how dark the clouds are, no matter how miserable it is, you know, like we talked about earlier, one foot in front of another. And I say to people, there's beautiful sunshine the other side of that storm. You just have to hold on. Just hold on. That's it's that simple. That's it. One day. So Enda O'Doherty is your guy. I'm going to tell you that right now. He is your guy for I, this is just taste. Uh, and so how I heard about Enda was through the Irish Business Organization in New York. He spoke at one of those events. And I promise you, the speech uh, was amazing. This is what your people need to hear. This is for the new economy and learning about um, how to be a learner, how to challenge yourself, how to put yourself together and take control of the things and embracing your weakness and all these things that corporate talks about in terms of buzzwords like vulnerability and resiliency and all of that. Um, that's precisely what Enda does. So Enda, thank you so much for joining us today on the Bellwether Hub podcast. Your stories are amazing. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I really appreciate the kind words. And, you know, I, I just looked at my uh, clock and realized we've been talking for a long time, which is a great sign of a, a conversation and a podcast. I'm so I, grateful. It's, it's not a mini, it's not a mighty mini podcast. This is, <laughs> but it is a mighty podcast. I will we'll save podcast. that for the mighty podcast. Um, I look forward so to much. seeing you in New York when you come out and speak at one of these events. We're going to get Absolutely. you a bunch of events. Uh, but Endo Doherty, check him out, endodoherty.ie. More is on the website, bellwetherhub.com. I'll give you links to his book. I'll give you links to his website. I'll give you links to all of those things. And as always, thank you for joining us. And I look forward to seeing everyone out there soon. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. Now, do something for yourself. Bellwether is much more than just a podcast. Join us at bellwetherhub.com, where you can read riveting articles, view upcoming events, and connect with other interesting people. I look forward to seeing you out there soon.